0: Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by Kane University, where cougars climb higher. The Terrell Fund, supporting Reimagine child care. Delta Dental of New Jersey, everyone deserves a healthy smile. Valley Bank, NJM Insurance Group, serving New Jersey's drivers, homeowners, and business owners for more than 100 years. The Fidelco Group, New Jersey Sharing Network, Johnson & Johnson, and by Prudential Financial. Promotional support provided by bestofnj.com, all New Jersey in one place, and by Insider NJ.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Adubato. We are honored to once again be joined by our friend, Carlos Leniacs, who is President and CEO of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Essex, Hudson, and Union Counties. Good to see you, Carlos. Good to see you, Steve. Thanks for having me. Let everybody know the Big Brothers, Big Sisters work as we put up the website. It's so important. Go ahead. I
2: appreciate that. Uh, I've been CEO of Big Brothers, Big Sisters for about 14 years. We pair up one-to-one mentors for young people in our community in Essex, Hudson, and Union Counties and through an evidence-based mentoring program that's been around for over a century, we, based on common interests and commonalities, have caring adults in the lives of our kids. During the pandemic, if we learn anything else, the power of human connection is definitely needed amongst us all, but particularly for our young people that come to our doors. About a third of our kids come to us referred by the state social work system. They face challenges, but with the power of a one-to-one mentor, we see positive things increase, like school attendance, school grades, uh, and college graduate, high school graduation rates and also college matriculation rates, we see negative things uh, decrease as well. So we know that the, 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 the secret sauce of mentoring works and we've been doing this for 14 years and, and looking to be strong coming out of the pandemic to recruit more mentors.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the pandemic, Carlos. Let's get into that and we'll come back to the healthcare issues in just a moment. So the greatest impact of the pandemic as we're taping this program toward the back end of the summer 2022, the greatest impact that COVID has had on the work of your organization is?
2: twofold: academic loss, as well as a depression. We saw during the pandemic that our young people, when they were isolated, they faced uh, traumas, especially because of the families from once they come who are essential workers. Uh, online learning was not what it was cracked up to be. And it's no. uh, a disparaging coming on the teachers. They were trying to do what they could. However, everyone saw what was playing out, and our young people needed that additional support. Unfortunately, not all of them were able to get it. So we saw an academic loss that has yet to be fully quantified. But McKinsey recently put together a study that talked about something like 9 to 15 months of academic loss for young people, especially in under-resourced communities. And so how do we come out of this catching them up and having them get the skills necessary and the desire to graduate from high school, go off to college, They become competitive in a world economy. And then then lastly, the social emotional development of our kids was was really challenging during the pandemic. And and we still see the trauma of that ripple into today. We had our, our referrals for supports around therapeutic supports and behavioral health supports and depressive elements of our young people be more than doubled during the pandemic. So we're very in tune with the social emotional needs of our kids. And we think that a caring, stable adult. Mentor in the life of our kids helps mitigate and buffer against that. But real
1: quick though on this call, but a lot of the mentoring was going on remotely.
2: Yeah. So the, the, the blessing of our work was that we had strength of relationship before. Many of our relationships right. had been years in the making, so they had each other to lean on. They, were they had history. Yeah, history. Conversation. Absolutely. So they were they were known to each other. And then of course we all had to pivot to, to virtual. But we know coming out of this, there's nothing that replicates in-person human connection.
1: Yeah, and those new relationships are hard to establish um, remotely out of the box. But, but listen, the work is important, and that's why we put up the website. For those who are interested in volunteering, making a difference uh, with these, the young people that Carlos is talking about, follow up there, uh, follow up on the website. Uh, over at Jersey City Medical Center, you are the uh, first person of Latinx, Heritage Service Chairperson of the Board. It's a big deal. First of all, congratulations. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. It's, it's a real talk responsibility. about responsibility. Talk about what needs to be done there.
2: Well, about a decade ago, I joined on as a Board member, just as a community leader. Uh, given my role at Big Brothers Big Sisters, we were actively involved in respecting what Jersey City Medical Center was doing every single day. We hire from our community. We see it with our families and students alike. And so, there was this incredible respect. And when they asked me to join the Board, uh, I of course took on that responsibility and, and and seeing what the impact is of our community, but having a diverse set of eyes at the board level, as well as at the C-suite, as well as at the staffing level, um, is essential. I think to make sure that we're aligned with culturally competent care, our alignment with how we view the assets of our community, and how better to address the call to action for some of our our needs in our community, um, and so. You know, throughout the years, they had pulled me into the hospital, they pulled me into various uh, community engagement opportunities, as well as committee work. And in the committee work, you really see where all the work is done with the frontline workers talking about nursing, talking about the docs, talking about our, our complete staff, about 2,500 staff members, a majority of whom come from our community. But but I'm particularly proud about our nurses and what they were able to do during the, the pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, you know, the board asked me to be on, on a committee two times in a row where uh, we, we presented to uh, an independent body that evaluates uh, quality of nursing. And it's a high-level uh, status called the Magnet Award status. We've won this Magnet Award. We won it four times in a row. And for the 600 nurses that we have in our hospitals, it's it's a real um, uh, validation of the hard work that they they took on. But especially the case that, that we just got the distinction for the fourth time about a month ago, and coming out of the pandemic, this was um, such a shot in the arm for the culture of our, of our team. What they were doing during the pandemic was um, just God's work. And, 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 and weathering the storm and doing it committed to purpose and committed to our, our people was, was just incredible. So I'm really grateful to be a small part in that conversation.
1: It's so interesting. Uh, yeah, first of all, Jersey City Medical Center, part of the larger RWJ Barnabas. Healthcare system, significant supporters of public broadcasting, but the, the the really interesting thing for me is this: Carlos is talking about the nurses and other clinicians on the front line, whether it's at Jersey City um, Medical Center or any other healthcare organization, hospital system. Heroes, at first,
2: now, what the heck? We we can't forget. What is that? A- Go ahead, we Carlos. What we- is that about? We can't forget them. We can't forget the issue. I remember two years ago when we were banging pots and pans in celebration of our nurses. We were trying to do that to show support in the way we can. Now they're targets for people who are peeved at
1: whatever and frustrated and, and, and COVID restrictions and policies of the government and what medicine is, is appropriate or not are, are cleared by the CDC. Now, it's like they're targets. How does that happen?
2: unreal. Politics is, is, is the devil's work, and we are here to lift up the, what they are, which are our heroes, and will continue to be so. They've always been the case. When you walk through the... Some people ask me, why, why Jersey City Medical Center? What, what is of quality of them? We could talk about all the accolades, but I will tell you it's highly personal. I moved my mom from Montclair, where she lived, to Hudson County, to Jersey City. My mom has personal needs that she leans on healthcare system pretty regularly. I will tell you nothing more precious than my mother to walk through the doors and, and the people that greet her, the nurses on the front end, as well as the docs and the clinicians and everyone else, takes no one better care of my mother than those out of our institution. So it's a highly personal one. We can list all the accolades, but this is where the rubber hits the road. And for those who vilify those in the, the front line, you know, uh, I think there's a special place. There's a special place. For for Let's yeah. just leave it
1: at that. That's right. and, Uh, Carlos's point, uh, not only at that particular institution, but to all the hospitals, hospital systems, and to all the frontline workers, you continue to be heroes, regardless of how some folks may want to take out their frustration. Carlos, thank you so much, my friend. Best to you and all the folks at the organization. Take care. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you. You guys stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Big
3: Flamingo Insurance, what do you want?
4: Um, yeah, can we get the auto insurance policy? Anything else? Um,
5: can we add an extra driver?
3: Number four combo, your premium comfort, pick up spot
5: too. Okay. When it comes to insurance, you don't have to sacrifice service to save. Wait. This isn't even the right policy. Upgrade to NJM and get the five-star customer service you deserve with discounts you'll love.
6: Excuse me, Mr. Rollerbird?
5: No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM, get a quote today. Folks, recently, uh, my colleague Jackie Tricarico and
1: I, who is the executive producer of Think Tank and also of our series Remember Them, we were out there at the New Jersey Sharing Network 5K. It's over in New Providence, New Jersey. Jackie had a chance to sit down Now, she wasn't sitting down. she was standing up and talking to a whole range of people who have powerful, compelling stories about organ and tissue donation, about the gift of life at the 5K, at the Sharing Network. Here's Jackie.
3: Joining me now is Catherine Goss and her sister, Colleen Bull. Catherine actually received a liver transplant just back in February. February, Mm -hmm. And the liver, half of the liver came from your sister. Yes. (laughs) I need to hear more about this story. So tell me
6: about uh, what happened uh, and why you needed to receive a liver transplant. Sure, so um, I've had um, some autoimmune diseases pretty much my entire adult life. One of which is called primary sclerosing cholangitis, which I know is a mouthful. It goes by PSC, which is the the abbreviation for it. And as part of that disease, um, you are at a greater likelihood for a lot of complications, including something called cholangiocarcinoma, which is bile duct cancer and I had bile duct cancer. So I first got bile duct cancer in 2019, and I was able to have what they call a liver resection where they removed part of my liver. But when I was diagnosed again this past fall, um, that wasn't an option for me. So I got the formal diagnosis in December and found out that my only chance really for survival was a living donor. So we started that process and okay. we were able to identify my sister.
3: But how do, how do, when you know that you need a living donor, because this is the first time we're talking to somebody who's had a living donor yeah. transplant, how does that process start? How does the reach out
6: start? Is the New Jersey Sharing Network involved right away? Uh, actually, we weren't involved with the New Jersey Sharing Network because it was a living donor situation. Um, the hospital network that, that I was with, my doctor, suggested that I start with people I knew. So, um, and I started with what I call the big ask. So they said, you know, go to your friends and family and see if you can get somebody who you know. When it comes to living donor, they, the preference is for somebody that does know you. Obviously there are many cases where people do the altruistic gift and they give to somebody, a complete stranger, um, but, Ideally, if they can find somebody that knows you and has a personal connection to you, that is preferred. And it needs to be a perfect match too. It just can't be
3: anybody. And I'm sure that perfect match can most likely come from somebody in your family. So Colleen, tell me when you knew that she needed a transplant, what was your first
7: thought? Well, my first thought honestly was that it was me. I, I knew, knew right yeah, now. I knew all along it was gonna be me. I would be the right person for it. And the the most appropriate person to do it. And I knew that my blood type was compatible. I knew that, um, I mean, obviously the relationships there, you know, we're sisters. It just, I, I never doubted that it would be me. And you never had a second thought. Was it a scary decision for you? Oh, well, I mean, it's certainly scary. It's a big undertaking. It's a, um, it's a major surgery. So, you know, there's gonna be some recovery and there's some risk involved, but I was very confident in it the, the whole time. Um, I, I really had no doubts at all.
3: What does it mean to both of you to be here today to witness what this is really all about
7: and how things unfold here at the 5K every year? Well, it's great. <laughs> yeah, It's great, right? It's great. It's. I mean, back when this was all happening, it felt very, you know, obviously emotional and, and, and scary and, and not really sure what to expect over the next few months. And, and I think it's been surprising. Our, our recovery has been surprisingly good. Um, our support from our family and friends have been wonderful. Um, being part of this is is even more amazing right being able to walk this on this beautiful day I think it's great and for
3: anybody like who is questioning like okay being a living donor is a whole nother thing mm-hmm. right so yeah if anybody's questioning being a living donor or you know checking that mark off on their driver's license or doing it online to become yeah. a, a donor in general what would be your message as being Someone
7: who I would say explore it, certainly, you know, keep an open mind and do it. You know, if you have that personal connection, I think it's an easy decision to make. If you maybe don't and, you, and you're and somebody who's not a sister or a loved one, um, a friend or whatever, maybe it feels like a bigger decision to make. But you'll be surprised. I mean, it's mostly the, the unknown, right? The unknown is scary. But if you educate yourself beforehand and you're prepared and you trust the process, like I trust it very much that they would only do what was right for me and that they wouldn't even pursue it with me if I wasn't healthy enough to um, come out successful from it. So I felt really, I felt completely confident going into it.
6: And one thing I'd like to just add to that is that the hospital really underscored that the living donor is the priority. And I think that's important for people to know. You know, they are not, they are, Put first and as they should be because they are doing something you know incredibly generous and uh so they should be so her health is the as my living donor was prioritized and that may help people get over some of that fear and trepidation of pursuing it and for you with your sister yeah.
3: i'm sure there's probably no words <laughs> that you can ever say to her to say thank you for doing this how how has that been for you to try to show her or tell her how important this was for you? Incre- impossible.
7: Yeah. Let's just say it's impossible. But unnecessary because it. I mean, it was just going to happen regardless. So yeah. So it's all. It's all good. There's no need for that.
6: <laughs> I've tried. I've tried. And I will sure always try. That- I was continuing to try it for the rest of my life. If I could say, you know, I also, as part of my surgery, received an artery from a deceased donor. So, you know, we're here supporting, obviously, living donors. Donation we're celebrating general. my life, our success, but we're also really in support of the whole initiative and the message of the Sharing Network. We couldn't be more thankful.
3: Well, thank yeah. you. And we're thankful that you're sharing your story. And this helps educate people about organ donation, how important it is, tissue donation and, uh, you know, your story is incredible. So thank you for sharing with us. Thank you, it. you so much, thank Jackie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah.
0: To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media.
3: Big Flamingo Insurance. What do you want? Um.
4: Yeah. Can we get the auto insurance policy? Anything else? Um.
5: Can we add an extra driver?
3: Number four combo. Your premium
5: comes pick up spot two. Okay. When it comes to insurance, you don't have to sacrifice service to save. Wait. This isn't even the right policy. Upgrade to NJM and get the five-star customer service you deserve with discounts you'll love.
6: Excuse me, Mr. Rollerbird? No
5: jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM, get a quote today.
4: Hi, I'm Dr. Sharif El-Nahal. Did you know that there are nearly 4,000 New Jerseyans waiting for a life-saving transplant? And 67% of those people are people of color. Just one organ and tissue donor can save eight lives and enhance the lives of over 75 people. Let's come together to raise awareness in our diverse communities. Donation needs diversity. You have the power to make a difference. For more information or to become an organ and tissue donor, visit www.njsharingnetwork.org. We are honored to once
1: again be joined by United States Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman. Uh, Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining us.
8: Thank you for having me. It's good to see you.
1: Good to see you. Um, Congressman. we have a series we're doing in cooperation with Kane University. You know their institute, the John S. Watson Urban Research and Policy, Policy and Research Institute. Urban Matters, it's called. You'll see the graphic up there. The most pressing urban issue or issues that we should be focused on, not just in New Jersey, but the nation include?
8: Disparities. Disparities on all levels, whether it's the income gap, the uh, accessibility the health gap the safety and security in your communities uh the mental health issues uh the wealth gap all of those things that's what's uh driving I believe uh, the, the work that I want to do and that certainly drives the Jonas Watson Institute and so I'm so delighted that that Institute is located in under this amazing president up at Kane University because he gets it he gets about the interconnectability of all those sort of social uh, dynamics and economic dynamics and a healthy economy in general. And so that's what I think.
1: Yeah, you're talking about uh, Dr. Lamont Repolet, the former Head of the Department of Education in the state, now the president of Kane University, um, we will be talking to him about these issues as well. But uh, Congressman, let me let me let me be more precise and specific with you in terms of some urban matters. Let's talk about environmental justice. What does it mean, first of all, and what is the role of the United States Congress in terms of dealing with addressing this uh, environmental injustice?
8: So let me just say that I'm so I'm so glad that Joe Biden is the president right now because he kind of kind of gets the whole environmental um, existential threat to all of us, whether or not we're in the rich communities or the poor communities. But in the poor, lower income communities, it's extremely important that we recognize what's happening with climate change. The heat index has been so high. Uh, the 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 health um, reaction to that health to that to those heat indexes that Uh, made people really sick, we've had unnecessary deaths because of them. So we need to look at what does it mean to create a safer and healthier environment, free of so much pollution, uh, free of uh, all of the sort of heat that comes from the lack of trees and things of that nature, Um, the water issue, just being able to have a cooling center in the summer and a heating a capacity in the winter. Looking at what is happening among the poorest of us and trying to remediate and eliminate those barriers. Because if we, from a policy perspective, look look low so that we can go broad and, and, and go high, then we will end up making things better for everybody. You and I both know if you deal with the least among us, you're doing the right work.
1: Doing the right work and speaking of the right work, we're, if you listen to us on the audio side, we're speaking with the United States Representative Bonnie Watson Coleman. Um, but, but real quick, Congresswoman, could you tell us exactly what committees you're serving on right now so people can have perspective? We'll put up your website as well so people can find out more.
8: I'm on Homeland Security and I'm on the Appropriations uh, Committee. and I'm the only New Jerseyan in both the Senate and the House of Representatives on the Appropriations Committee. And I'm on the subcommittees, um, uh, labor, health, and, uh, and and other agencies, and uh, transportation, housing, and urban development, and the interior. That's on the Appropriations Committee. You think that's enough? <laughs> Sometimes I think it's too much, because I'm also a subcommittee chair under Homeland Security on maritime uh, security issues. So...
1: Yeah. You forgot to add that. Uh, By the way, the uh, congresswoman will be joining us. We're doing a special on our uh, other series, Remember Them, that is dedicated to her father, John S. Watson, who I was honored to serve in the state legislature with. He was a leader in the legislature, a leader in our state and our nation. That is on Remember Them. Check out the congresswoman there. Um, Representative uh, Bonnie Watson Coleman, I want to follow up on a child care issue because we have another series. We have a lot of mini series, and this one is about reinventing, uh, reimagining. Excuse me, reimagining child care. What needs to be reimagined regarding child care, and what is the role of the federal government in that regard?
8: Number one is the child tax credit, which, you know, took 43 percent of the children out of poverty immediately. A uh, very modest investment on a monthly basis, so the families could use it in order to take care of their children. Uh, something we're still fighting for. It was in the um, American Rescue Plan. We weren't able to get it. Our Republicans have not been very helpful with us on the issues of this nature. Um, secondly, it is making sure that there's early um, a childcare, that the childcare is both substantive and safe and, and secure and affordable. So supplementing that um, uh, from a resource perspective, wherever we wherever we can. And then making sure that mothers have access to good jobs. Uh, so that they can and fathers as well, so they can take care of their families and making sure that the education system is safe and secure and delivers a kind of education that takes care of our children and prepares them to be our future. Because, you know, as vibrant as we might be right now, Steve, it ain't gonna be that way forever. And so we need to we need to recognize that it's resource-based. And when we found that we place these resources in the hands of families. They use that money for good things, for taking care of their children, for getting their children uh, school, uh, preschool care, for making sure that they had the clothing, the food, et cetera. And so I also support uh, this issue of guaranteed income, which elevates the family and makes sure that no family is allowed to fall below a certain floor level in this, in this very wealthy country. It's all about preparing and protecting and preserving uh our, the future of our society.
1: There are some listening right now, watching right now, are gonna say, wait a minute, isn't that I'll use the S-word, nope. socialism? Yeah, go th- address that because go ahead.
8: So I don't know. I I don't I don't want to put a label on it. I think it is a fair uh um realization. The, of the way you eliminate poverty in this country is to make sure that people have the financial resources they need to be able to to purchase the things, whether it's shelter, how food, food, uh, transportation, education, whatever. It's as simple as childcare. that. So, child care. So childcare, absolutely. So when we think of uh, giving to the 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 very very poor and the, and the so, social and economically vulnerable, you know, we have a lot to say about it. When we think about the tax credits and the tax loopholes that go to the very, very, very wealthy, we think that's you know good policy. So why does that sort of um, a, a grace evolve to the very, very wealthy and is looked at as healthy policy? But when it comes to the very, very poor who need those specific resources, and it's been demonstrated that they use those resources to support and protect their families, and educate and care for their children. Why are we having, why, why, why are we having uh, to label these things as things that sort of foment a, uh, a divisiveness in our country?
1: Congresswoman, we have about a minute left. I wanna ask you this. You joined us right after January 6th. You were uh, directly impacted, affected by that. You shared your experience with us and with many others in the media across the state, across this region and nation. This isn't a political program. We don't cover elections per se, but we're taping on the 20th of September. What is at stake in this election? A and B, what does that have to do with the future of democracy? And your view you've got a minute left. Sorry to you. load you up like that with that question. Sorry,
8: right. democracy is in peril here. We see what's happening on the other side. I know this is not, you know, Republicans versus Democrats, but Donald Trump at Al have made this an issue of a, a contrast. That says, do you support de- democracy? Do you support equality of opportunity? Do you support the rule of law, or do you support autocracy and greed and and corruption? So I am telling you that what's on the ballot is what you can teach your children at school. Whether or not libraries are going to have the books that they need. Whether or not women are going to have access to the freedom to of their uh healthcare decisions, whether or not there's going to be environmental justice investments into communities, whether or not there's going to be serious climate change um, recognition and investments for the whole country and the whole world, and whether or not we're going to lower the cost for healthcare, whether or not we're going to make sure people who need insulin get that at at a price that they can afford, and making sure that seniors are capped at at a certain level, at $2,000, we're trying to lower costs. We're trying to lower costs, expand expand opportunities, expand protections, and make sure that everybody has a stake in this great nation. And that is on the ballot.
1: This will be seen before and potentially after that November election, but the stakes are still the same as the Congresswoman described it. Also, to make sure everyone understands that we uh, on Think Tank and our other programs We'll make sure we have different perspectives, different points of view who will may frame the issue differently than the Congresswoman just did. Uh, Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. We appreciate it. All the best to you and, and your family. Thank you. You got I'm Steve Adebato. That is the Congresswoman. We'll see you next time.
0: Think Tank with Steve Adebato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by Kane University, the Terrell Fund. Supporting reimagined child care. Delta Dental of New Jersey. Valley Bank. NJM Insurance Group. The Fidelco Group. New Jersey Sharing Network. Johnson & Johnson. And by Prudential Financial. Promotional support provided by bestofnj.com. And by Insider NJ. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Big Flamingo Insurance. What do you want?
4: Um. Yeah. Can we get the auto insurance policy? Anything else? Um.
5: Can we add an extra driver?
3: Number four combo. Your premium comes with pickup spot too. Okay.
5: When it comes to insurance, you don't have to sacrifice service to save. Wait. This isn't even the right policy. Upgrade to NJM and get the five-star customer service you deserve with discounts you'll love.
6: Excuse me, Mr. Rollerbird?
5: No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM, get a quote today.
4: Hi, I'm Dr. Sharif El-Nahal. Did you know that there are nearly 4,000 New Jerseyans waiting for a life-saving transplant? And 67% of those people are people of color. Just one organ and tissue donor can save eight lives and enhance the lives of over 75 people. Let's come together to raise awareness in our diverse communities. Donation needs diversity. You have the power to make a difference. For more information or to become an organ and tissue
0: donor, visit www.njsharingnetwork.org.